0: So those of you who know me well know that I love baseball. Like, I love baseball. I grew up playing baseball. Um, My dad taught me how to throw and catch. He taught me how to throw a curveball. He taught me how to hold the bat. Um, I played t ball. I played little league. I played Babe Ruth ball through middle school. I played high school ball. I Even played a little senior Babe Ruth, um, uh, American Legion ball. I I, I loved it. Um, in fact, yeah, I I got all the way to to college, and I was thinking, oh boy, I, I wish I could play college ball, but you know, wasn't quite good enough. I didn't even try. I. Maybe if I had tried to walk on, I could have done something. But um, you know, after my se- after my first year of college, I kind of realized that I was actually still young enough that I could play one final year of summer baseball. And I played one year of senior Babe Ruth after my first year of college. Um, I'm the kind of guy who um, cries at the end of Field of Dreams. You know, baseball uh it's a it's a beautiful sport i i'm the i'm the guy who i just get tingles i get tingles thinking about the end of the natural where you know roy cobb's hits that final you know home run and just ah and, and it's just such an amazing thing. And there's one thing about baseball, though. There's one thing about baseball that's that is it's it's at this pivotal moment of the game um, when when everything is on the line. Um, there are batters on base. There is there's There's a great pitcher on the mound. The score is close, it's tied, or maybe the the home team is behind and it's the bottom of the ninth inning and and the announcer says, and coming up next, right? And maybe it's If we go way, way back, it's somebody like Mickey Mantle, or it's Hank Aaron, or when I was growing up, up, it was Ken Griffey Jr., um, or or whoever else. Or maybe it's like maybe it's um, uh, George Springer who won the the MVP of the World Series last year for the Houston Astros. And they won this World Series, what, seven games? And he hit five home runs, seven RBIs. He scored eight times. Every time he came up to bat in that series, what would happen? His fans, the fans would cheer. They would anticipate because this is our best player. He's our most valuable player. He's coming up to bat. They're excited. They know that something wonderful could happen at any moment. Greatness. But then you're on the other team and you're thinking, oh no, what's going to happen? There's a feeling of dread, like, oh, why didn't we get that last guy out? Because now their best player is coming up to the plate. So there's a feeling of dread. There's a feeling of doom. There's there's a feeling of this could go terribly wrong. And as often uh, uh, as oft, uh, often or not, uh, it, it, it does happen that way. That that the. The team pitching, you know, the pitcher tries to throw his best pitch, but the batter gets a hold of it. It's it's that um, it's that great you know, Dodgers versus A's moment um, back in the '80s, what, 1988, when when what, what was it, Eckersley, right? Throws that ball, and who hit that? Who, who hit that home run? He comes out of the dugout hobbling. He was like on crutches practically just to get up to the, to the plate. It's a beautiful moment. When that happens, it's a beautiful moment. Well, I love baseball. I'm not here to preach baseball. But something like that is happening in the story that we're following. Something like that is happening in Mark chapter 1. Someone is coming up to the plate, ready to go, and it's going to change everything. And for those who anticipate, those who are cheering, those who are on the home team, they rise to their feet, they're ready, they're going to respond, there's greatness afoot. But for those who are on the opposing team, there's a moment of dread. There's a moment of worry and concern, and rightly so. Because it's not baseball, it's real life. It's eternity. It's heaven and earth. It's the kingdom of God. It's the king who's coming up to the plate. Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Would you stand with me? I'm just going to read these two short verses today. And we're going to to meditate on the gospel and the kingdom. So, follow with me as I read aloud, aloud from Mark chapter 1. Again, verse 14. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this word and and make it alive in our hearts this morning. Help us to understand it and respond appropriately to it, God. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. The gospel is the good news that the kingdom of God has appeared on earth. That the king is here to call us to leave our old life behind and enter his glorious and eternal kingdom. That's, a, that's a lo- another long, big idea statement. Um, and it doesn't say everything about the gospel. But it does say what Mark wanted to say about the gospel right here in these verses. And we're going to unpack what these mean throughout the, the message. But I'm going, to, I'm going to repeat this again. The gospel is the good news that the kingdom of God has appeared on earth. That the king is here to call us to leave our old life behind and enter his glorious and eternal kingdom. So when Jesus came proclaiming the gospel of God, He came into a particular culture in a particular context. And we've talked a little bit about that over the last few weeks. This is the first century Judea. This is Jerusalem. This is Galilee. This is people who were Jewish by birth who were, were considered themselves the nation of Israel. And when they read Deuteronomy 29, verses 1 through 15, and, and that last line talks about, you know, saving Israel, God, you're for Israel. That was them. they said, we are Israel. We have a God who formed us, who made us, and who is for us. But they're waiting. There have been 400 years of silence. They're wondering, when is God going to do something for us? We're under Roman control. We're, we don't have the freedom that we want to have. We're, we're trying to worship, but we're, we're, we feel oppressed. We feel like we're in another uh, time of slavery. When, God, are you going to come and rescue your people? Redeem us out of slavery. When are you going to, to create and do a new exodus for us? That's what's going on here. So, people were anticipating a kingdom. This kingdom of God language is all over the Gospels. And it's a big deal. And there's a lot to it. But let's just think about being, in that, being those people waiting for, anticipating the kingdom of God. They understood that God ruled everything. That was just a a given. That was just a base belief that God created the world, He created the universe, that He is ultimately sovereign over it all. He is the King of the universe. However, this world is wracked by sin. Rebellion. It's messed up. The fall happened. Genesis chapter 3. It all went downhill. It, it, It was like everything started to decay now. Something significant happened at that, at that moment in time. And it changed everything. And now, mankind doesn't acknowledge their king like they should. They don't worship him as they should. They don't live like they should. They don't relate to one another as they should. This is messed up. So then, God rescues and calls a people. He calls Abraham... Then Isaac, his son, and Jacob, his son. And Jacob gives rise to the 12 tribes of Israel. And God makes them into a great nation. He calls them his son. He brings them out of Egypt, out of slavery, in the Exodus. And he makes them his son in the wilderness. 40 years in the wilderness. And then brings them into the land. Brings them into their promise. They're waiting for this to happen again. When is your kingdom going to come? Then Jesus appears on the scene. Then Jesus begins to proclaim the gospel of God, saying, The time is fulfilled. The hour, the time, the, 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 what is that word? It's not Chronos because that would be chronological time. The help me out here, somebody, somebody. What? Kairos. Kairos. That's it. Thank you. I knew somebody was going to help me out. Kairos, the hour, the Kairos. It's it's now. The time is the appointed time. the 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 moment we've all been waiting for. The moment is now. Here it is this kairos moment it's fulfilled it's 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 here and he says the kingdom of god is at hand that that's a tricky word the kingdom of god is at hand or the kingdom of god has come near or the kingdom of god is now it, it, it's that anticipation it's a word of anticipation it's the kingdom of god is coming out of the batter circle and coming up to the plate. That's what's going on. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. That's the message that Jesus is saying. That's what Jesus is saying. That's the content of the gospel that He's proclaiming. In this passage. And he's doing it. It's an ongoing. He's proclaiming it. He's saying it. It's a present reality. It was the message that he continued to say. Over and over. You could imagine Jesus. Coming into a village. And announcing this message. And then going on. And people would come to him and say. What's going on Jesus? And he would repeat the message again. And he'd go to the next village. And he would say it again. He'd the gospel of God. He would say. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. It was the message that was on his lips and on his disciples' lips throughout his ministry. The king was here. People may have wondered, can it be true? This good news, this gospel of God, is the time now? The kingdom of God is at hand. How how will we know this? Prove it to us. And that's what the rest of the gospel is about. As we continue through the rest of the gospel, we see Him proving it. He heals. There are evil spirits tormenting people. He casts them out. There were people sick. He healed them. There were people dying. He healed them. Jesus came and did what only God can do. There were storms. There were seas roaring. There were waves crashing. There was wind blowing. And Jesus comes and He calms the storms. He does all of those things because the kingdom of God is at hand. The King is here. His whole ministry was... An, an extrapolation of this, an unfolding of this message, that this kingdom is now in your lives. The King is present with you. We, um, we looked at, we saw in, um, Deuteronomy, um, chapter, uh, 29, that, as, that was read earlier, the, uh, the uh, anticipation of God's, uh, or the the response to God's self-revelation. That God revealed Himself in the Old Testament. He revealed Himself at, at significant times throughout the Exodus. He revealed who He was. The Ten Commandments begins with, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. I am God. I am Yahweh. I am, I am. (laughs) And this is what I have done for you. We have a God who speaks and a God who acts. And He has done that. Now, in this time, in this moment, in Mark chapter 1, with Jesus. So, the kingdom has come. What does that mean for us? What is this? And why does He... Well... Why does he use the term gospel? Proclaiming, he says he's proclaiming the gospel of God. Didn't we just see up in verse 1 a few weeks ago? The, 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 the gospel begins with, Mark's gospel begins with the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news of Jesus Christ. And in verse 14, he repeats that word again, gospel. He's, now it's the gospel of God. It's bigger and greater than just uh, 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 Jesus himself or maybe Jesus, the gospel of Jesus Christ is bigger and greater than we thought. That it encompasses all of God's plans for his people. So, here's what I'd like us to do. I'd like us to think about this, this big idea about the gospel being the good news, the kingdom of God has appeared. That the king is here, that he, is, he has come, he has uh, fulfilled all of the anticipations, all of the promises of, that God made to his people, and that he's finally here. But that he calls us to leave our old life behind, and to enter his kingdom that's glorious and eternal, because that's what they were waiting for. Not a kingdom that was just going to give them a little bit of peace for the present, but that was going to change everything. That was going to lead them into God's presence forever. A new creation. A restoration of all things. We find it was through Jesus and as we do, as we continue to go through the gospel, we're going to keep thinking back to this. In fact, my intention going into this morning or into this week was to include the, the, the following section of Mark. And to talk about the calling of the first disciples and how they followed him. It's vitally connected to this, but there's so much here that we need to establish before we move on to that first call to the disciples um, that we need to spend some time thinking about what this gospel and what this kingdom is all about. So let's talk about the gospel a little bit. The gospel takes us through life and not out of it. John was arrested. Well... The whole phrase was, now after John was arrested, Mark is not just trying to give us a a setting. It's just, you know, set the stage and say, okay, so this happened at around this time. And so it's a historical um, fact and, and you can verify that with asking some of the witnesses. But he's pointing out something significant that Jesus comes back to over and over again. In Mark chapter 9, the disciples ask him about Elijah coming. Why does the scripture say that Elijah must first come? And Jesus says that Elijah does come first to restore all things. And then he asks them a question. How is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? Was he referring to? Those Isaiah songs, songs those suffering servant songs of Isaiah where God is sending His anointed one to suffer and go through trial and go through um, ill treatment on behalf of His people. But then Jesus says this, I tell you that Elijah has come. He's referring to John the Baptist. And they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. The context of Jesus proclaiming the Gospel in this first instance is John's arrest. That he's been taken away, that he's been grabbed, they—they've thrown him into jail. That doesn't sound like a, a a good reward for somebody who has faithfully proclaimed Jesus, somebody who has said, "Hey, Jesus is coming, the Messiah is coming, be ready." And what does he get for that? Oh, go to jail. How did Jesus get treated? throughout his, who, his experience. He was rejected in his hometown. He was arrested and betrayed by the people he was closest to, his closest friends. He's beaten. He's abused. He's tormented. He's nailed on a cross. He bleeds out, suffocates and dies. The gospel is given in the context, in this kind of context, of life happening, difficulties happening, circumstances beyond our control. John didn't ask to be arrested. and Jesus didn't technically ask for any of those bad things to happen either. But he went willingly. So, what do we do? What about all the circumstances that we're dealing with right now? I have yet to come to a point in my life where I've experienced what so-called prosperity gospel preachers uh, preach. Where everything is good and I have good health for the rest of my life. And I have all of the money that I'll ever need. And more. And that nothing bad is happening. And all my relationships are are whole and happy and healthy and just things are wonderful. But I do have the Gospel. But I do have Christ. I do have the King. I do have His hope. I have something to share now. I have something to get me through today. I have something to share to a hundred soldiers who lost a comrade by his own hand. I have some good news to share with them that they desperately need to take them through that experience. Psalm 23 Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me, the psalmist says to the Lord. That's good news. That is good news through all of the things that you go through in life, the gospel is taking you through it. Jesus is leading you through it. 2 Corinthians 12, verses 9 and 10. Paul says, But he said to me, Jesus said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. And then what did he go on to say? He said, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest on me. For the sake of Christ, then, I I am content with, what? Weaknesses, um, persecutions, calamities, um, insults, (laughs) etc. There's one more I'm forgetting. For when I am weak, He is strong. Paul experienced that in his life. The apostle who heard the good news of Jesus directly from Jesus himself and followed him and, 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 and rested in the gospel. The gospel takes us through life, not out of it. The gospel leads us also to where people are. Jesus, it says, Jesus came into Galilee. We talked about Galilee. We've talked about the kind of place it was. The good people of Judea and Jerusalem, they looked, you know, kind of askance at the people of Galilee. There's a lot of, a lot of. Uh, Gentiles who lived up there. The people were sort of backwoods. They didn't practice the religion like we practice it. So we've already talked about that. But notice the difference in the ministry of John and Jesus. John went into the wilderness and he proclaimed this. And people all came out to him. And he had a purpose for that. So this is not to say ministries like John... Not good. But imagine. But think about Jesus and what he's doing. Jesus is going where people are. He's going into Galilee. He's not saying, hey all of you, come out here. He's not inviting them to a, a rally uh, in a tent in the middle of a field out in the middle of nowhere. He's going to where people live, going to where people work. And we see that throughout the rest of this gospel. Ordinary people, here he goes. He goes into the city of Capernaum and he enters the synagogue where people are gathered together on the Sabbath day. And he teaches them and he heals. He leaves there and he goes into a house. He goes into Simon's house where his mother-in-law is sick. And he spends time with them. Later on, he goes out to a place to pray. And then he says, let's go to the other villages and cities and towns so that I can preach there also. And he goes throughout the villages and he, he continues to go into synagogues where people are gathered together. And then he goes into another home and he's hanging out there and he's having... he's. He's gathered there and they bring people to him and he heals and he preaches the word and then he goes to a tax collector's house and he hangs out with tax collectors and sinners because they invited him into his home. He spends time with them. He goes about in all these places. That's just in the first chapter or chapter and a half of Mark's gospel. The gospel, though, leads us to where people are because that's where they need to hear the gospel. There are people in our neighborhoods, there are people in our places of work, there are people up and down our streets that need to hear the good news of Jesus And Jesus models that for us. That's what the Gospel is for, Jesus said in in Mark chapter 2. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. He spends His time with sinners because they're the ones who need to hear the good news. That's kind of a risky proposition if you ask me. One something Neil Cole says is we may have to sit in the smoking section. We don't have any smoking sections in Washington State and I'm okay with that. But what he's saying, he's saying where people are hurting, where people are struggling, where people need the mo- Jesus the most is the dark places. That's where we're called to shine the light, to turn the light on. It may be in our schools. It may be in our um, community events. It may be in our, um, our sports. It may be in all kinds of different areas. That is where the gospel leads us very powerfully. The gospel takes us through life, not out of it. The gospel leads us to where people are. And then the gospel is proclaimed by kingdom people. Jesus models this for us. He comes into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. Don't be intimidated by that word proclaiming. We could substitute the word announcing. We could also substitute, as a lot of our English Bibles substitute, um, the word preaching. But, that's, but it's uh, far uh, more uh, nuanced or far more, um, maybe even broad, than what we think of as preaching today. It was proclaimed by kingdom people in uh, the next passage, which I, won't, which I won't get too far in depth with, but Jesus makes this statement. I will make you become fishers of men. What is he saying? Like you, or like me, excuse me, you are to be proclaimers of the gospel. You are to be sharing this good news with others. Kingdom people proclaim the kingdom. That's what they do. They don't hide it. It's um. Those moments of, uh, you know, those moments of patriotism that we've had over the course of our nation's history, where you know almost everyone's got a flag on their their door or on their car or you know what what it might be you know after after 911 it was amazing how patriotic patriotic our country became like everyone was saying you know god bless the usa or things like that everyone said our country is great wave the flag and and, I, and I'm okay with that. I think that's a, a beautiful thing. We live in a, an amazing country. But we don't step away from that going, well, my country, I don't, li-, you know, I don't like this about my country, so therefore I'm not going to support it. Or hashtag he's not my president. Or, or just you know crazy things like that. Or maybe that's not too crazy for you. I don't know. But when the kingdom comes, the king comes... And says, here, here I am. We don't say, Not my king. If we do, we end up being on the opposing team. We end up with the feeling of dread. Oh no, the king is coming to the plate. He's not my king. And there's only one place for that those kinds of people. It's called rebellion, it's called sin, it's called rejecting Christ. It's called rejecting God. So when kingdom people are transformed, they proclaim the gospel. They announce that. They are part of the winning team. They are part of the people, the crowd who's crying out, our king is great. Repent and believe in the gospel. The time is now. The gospel is proclaimed by kingdom people. We're going to find out a lot more about how that is proclaimed as we go through the rest of God, uh, Mark's gospel. But Matthew helps us out a lot in his last, um, the, the last story, the last passage of his gospel. Jesus comes to his people, his disciples, more than just the 11 that were left there, but all who had been following him. And he tells them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And so what does that mean for us? It it means proclaiming that gospel, making disciples. We do that by proclaiming that gospel, that gospel that we need to hear, that gospel that is, is all um, it's all-encompassing for our lives. It, it, it's, a, it's a challenge to us and it, it calls us to respond and, and to make some changes. But that's what we're called to do. Fishers of men, disciple makers, Christ proclaimers, however you want to call it. So the challenge for us is how are we? how are we doing that? Maybe we're not Maybe the reason we're not proclaiming the gospel very often is because we don't spend time where other people are at who need to hear the gospel. I know that's been a challenge for me. When you grow up in a Christian family and you spend a lot of time around other Christians doing churchy things, sometimes you don't find your... You know people and have friends who don't follow Jesus. So maybe what we need to do is consider going to where people are with the gospel so that we have an ability and an opportunity to proclaim it. The gospel also challenges our values and convictions. The gospel challenges our values and convictions. The last thing Jesus says is, repent and believe in the gospel. So, the first part of it is, he announces the kingdom. He announces that the time is right. The king is here with you. And the the, the response, the, the implications of that for his people are so, therefore you need to repent and believe in the gospel. We've talked about repentance a little bit because John came... Proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And we, we saw that repentance is a turning away from a certain direction, a certain way, and getting on to the different way. And in here, um, Mark is, is summarizing Jesus' message, repent and believe in the gospel, showing us really kind of two sides of this. That one, repentance means turning away from your old life and believing means turn to Jesus and His life and what He's called us to. And um, this is something that people do when they put their faith in Jesus, when they confess their sins, when they realize the truth that they need this salvation, that... They need to, what we might call, we might, might say, convert to Him. This is what happens when people come to Jesus. They come to Him repenting of their old way and believing in Him and putting their faith and trust in Him. But this is also something that you and I need to hear because we're still. Struggling in a world of temptation and sin, we are still like Jesus being in the wilderness, tempted and in many ways that 's what our life is like right now that we 're being tempted we 're being tested and so when one of our one of the reformers, Martin Luther, wrote down his ninety five theses, he began with this. When our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ, said, Repent, He willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. That we don't repent once and we're good to go. That there are things that we're dealing with, struggling with over and over, that our lives are to be one of repentance. That we continue to repent. That we continue to turn away. Because see how easy it is if you imagine you're going on a journey, you've got your, you've got your directions, you've got your location, where you're headed. One, one day we, we took off from Puyallup and we drove across the country to central Virginia. It was a long journey. And we we knew where our destination was, but along the way, every once in a while, we would miss an exit. And we'd have to get back on. Or we'd go, well, this looks like a great place. Let's let's go check this out. Let's go look at that particular um, uh, monument or, or, or explore that national park or something. And we'd go on that. Well... That's not where we we needed to end up. We needed to actually get back on the right track and continue on in our journey. And that's what the Christian life is like. It's not setting the GPS for our destination, it's actually following it. And it means repenting often and believing in Him often and getting back on track. Where have you gotten off track? Where have you strayed from the path? See, Jesus is not just calling people in that time and place for initial response to Jesus to say a prayer, to be baptized, and to have their ticket stamped for the journey. The words of Jesus are echoing across eternity to us saying to each and every one of us, there's something you need to repent of. There is a a way you need to turn to me and believe in the gospel. Maybe trust me in that thing in your life. Maybe Maybe there's a sin that is calling to you, enticing you, preaching to you, Proclaiming a false gospel to you. Saying this is what you need. This is what will make you fulfilled. This is what will bring about your fullness and, 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 and your, uh, give you a sense of identity or purpose or acceptance. And Jesus is saying repent of that. And believe in me. Trust in me. I am your savior. I am the one who is your king. I am the one who is your Lord. My way leads to life. My way leads to glory. My way leads to eternity. So, the gospel, as I said, it challenges our values and convictions, the very things that we think define who we are and make us what we want to be. And, and, and say this is what's important about your life, are the very things that the gospel challenges us. And that's what we bring when we proclaim it. And then finally, the gospel calls for a response. So this is a, this is a kind of a part two of the last one. The challenge and the call are sometimes hard to separate. We're talking... Um, I was talking with Bill earlier before we started our worship gathering and we were talking about the gospel and, and, the, ch- and the challenge when people need to hear the gospel but, but maybe you don't have um, the right platform, the right uh, opportunity or, or maybe there's a, there's a distrust in the person you're talking to. They don't know you. They don't trust you. And so maybe we need to build some bridges. We need to challenge graciously, um, lovingly. But somehow or another, we need to call for response. Which is one of, I think, the hardest things, it's certainly one of the hardest things that I do when I'm proclaiming the gospel to somebody who needs to hear it. It really comes down to, I think, compassion for them, love for them, and being very clear of, of what this what this response would look like in their life. Repent and believe the gospel are pretty generic terms, but we need all of God's word to help us come to the point where we're able to share that and call for a response. I don't know if I, I don't know if that's a, a, as clear as it should be. Um, I was talking with a, a soldier um, uh, just the other day who's just dealing with all kinds of, of problems. Um, lost her sister recently, Um, uh, just got an eviction notice, you've got two months to move out of your home, Um, just thinking about her sister's husband and their kids and the fact that they're losing their home um, because they were dependent on that income and it's changing everything in their lives. and, And there she is just struggling with how do I handle all of this? And then, what can I possibly say to them? And how can I how can I go about it? And uh, I I shared some things and I offered some some hope and and pointed out some things that she's got going in her life and that she revealed as is, is is good and and things that she's anticipating and and then I prayed with her and. I prayed that that she would receive the comfort that only Jesus can offer. That in her case all of the things that she was dealing with all of the things that she was trying to trying to handle in her life and trying to be strong that she had a savior who knows what it's like to suffer knows what it's like to struggle and brings the comfort that he had, and that he, and that he, that he made certain in his death and his resurrection for her. I don't know what's going to happen to her. I don't know if she's going to. If that's going to make a difference to her. If she's going to um, repent and believe in that sense. But I called her to put her hope in Jesus (laughs) who provides the only comfort that she really needs. The gospel calls for a response certainly when we are declaring it to other people. But it calls for a response for us. I was listening to a... I listened to a preacher um, this past week and... um, something he said really stuck out at me and it was kind of one of those things where I, I'm listening to it in my car and I have to pull over to the side of the road and I have to pause my iPod and I have to write this down because it struck me as something that we need to hear when we're talking about the gospel. When we're talking about have we responded to the gospel? And it's this. He asked the question, are you pursuing Jesus and getting tripped up in sin, which all of us do? Or are you pursuing sin and getting tripped up in Jesus? I thought that was an interesting way of thinking about that. Because, quite honestly, some of us think that we can pursue, G- or pursue sin and, and deal with that in our lives and be okay with that, and then every once in a while we get tripped up in Jesus, and we get kind of oh, oh shoot, maybe I need maybe I need some Jesus in my life to fix this problem. But in reality, our our our, our GPS is set for sin; it's on that path. Jesus keeps interfering. Maybe a, a friend, maybe a message, <laughs> maybe a Bible study, or maybe. A, some time that you spend in the Word, and then Jesus starts tripping you up. What He's doing is He's trying to call you to pursue Him. He's trying to call you to follow Him, to come after Him. Pursue Him. Yeah, we'll get tripped up in sin. Yes, that'll happen. Yes, we'll fail. But He's given us a way to repent, put our faith in Him. And keep pursuing Him. So in a way, that's what this message is all about in terms of challenging us. The kingdom is now for us in terms of of Jesus. His call to us is the same as it was to those people 2,000 years ago. The King is here. He's calling us to leave our old life behind and enter his glorious and eternal kingdom. Now, if you're already in the kingdom by faith in Christ, then what you need to do is continue to repent because the old life is all, is, is, well, I was going to say all around us, but it's not. It's within us. We take our sin with us wherever we go. Let's not blame it on the world, the flesh, and the devil so much as the flesh, our flesh, our own. So what is he calling you to leave behind? What is he calling you to repent of? Have you put your faith in him? Do you, tr- do you truly trust him? Will you trust enough to obey him? That's part of our challenge today.